As we continue studying the book of Romans, we are now in chapter 6. We're going to see how we're going to accomplish the goal to study the entire chapter today. And um, there is uh, something great for all of us. Someone that I talked to this week says, if we really understand chapter 6 in Romans, many of the things, many of the situations that we're going through, we have a different perspective. And I do, I do believe that. Imagine for a moment, imagine that you are a bird, let's say an eagle, and you were born to, to fly, but what happened when you were just a little one? You were raised in a cage. Your wings were clipped and you never experienced the wind beneath your feathers. So all you knew, all you know, is the confined space where you live. But one day someone opens the cage and you find out that your wings are restored. And then you get out of the cage and you take the first flight, shaky flight to discover the world that you never knew. Endless skies, lofty trees, and, and the freedom to soar. But what if, what if you decided after that excitement, you decided to return to your cage? Even though the door is wide open, you decided to stay inside. Rather than within the limits of your own prison. Freedom is right there. Yet you choose confinement because it's all what you knew. Now, connect this with another scenario. Imagine that you are in a courtroom and in some ways you are chuckled because you commit a felony. You commit various accusations. Or, I mean, you have very, various accusations against you, so you are confined. You are in front of the judge. But surprisingly enough, because somebody paid a debt, the judge decided to declare you innocent of everything. So you are declared innocent. You are let go. You, you had nothing against you. And you go home, but you decided to keep your chains with you. And live as a free person, but confined to the chains of your own making. You're free. But you are accustomed now to live in prison with shackles. Even though you were declared not guilty. Even though you had the keys to remove those shackles. Yet you choose to walk still mimicking the posture of a shackled person. You are declared free, but you are lived like you were bound. This brings to a, a crucial point today. You know what Christianity is all about? Is this. Knowing that we are forgiven, 
because of what Christ did on the cross. But reckoning that you are free from the slavery of those past sins. In Christ, we are not just people forgiven of sin, we are people who are free from sin. And I mention sin as a principle, not sins in plural, because we are all sinners and we continue committing sins. But we are free from the principle that enslaved us before, which is sin. So why do we keep flying back to our cages or living like if we were still in shackles? That is a Precisely what we are going to be studying today in Romans 6. But in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul was telling us a life-changing truth. The sin that we started with, Adam, led to death. But in Christ, and thanks to his sacrifice on the cross, he opens the door for all of us to a new kind of living. Receiving a reward of eternal life for all of us. And just because of grace. Just because God wanted to give that to you. Because of what Christ did. Grace is not just covering your sins. Grace has been triumphed over sin. Offering each, of, each one of us a new beginning. But that leads us to a question. Okay, if I understand that I'm forgiven, that I am free from sin, why am I still feeling differently? If our sins serve as a highlight of the magnificence of grace, like many of the Apostle Paul's time were thinking, that means that I need to continue sinning so the grace can continue abounding? Anticipating that kind of question when, when Paul was teaching those new believers in Rome, when he was telling them about the truth, about being free from the bondage of sin, he anticipated that some of them would be taking wrong his words. Some people will misunderstand the concept about grace. He knew that. That's why he started chapter 6 with a rhetorical question, thinking some of them might be thinking this. And I start asking the question in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Paul is arguing vigorously that the death of Christ did more than just to free us from the penalty of sin. He broke the chains that bind us to that sin's power in our everyday lives. We were not just absolved. We were transformed. We are not called to live in the shadows of our former life and our former selves or to hover near to the open door in our own life, afraid to get out and soar. No, we are called to step fully into a new life marked by righteousness and holiness. That's why the central idea 
of chapter 6 in Romans is this. In Christ, we achieve true freedom in life by acknowledging that we have died to sin, by considering our new life, by presenting ourselves to God, and by serving in righteousness. So I invite you to open Romans 6, because this is going to be precisely the outline that we're going to study this morning. These four words want to serve us in chapter 6 to understanding, dive deep, deeper into the word. So we're going to be studying a way of acknowledging our death to sin, consider your new life in Christ, Present yourself to God and serve in righteousness. So let's journey together to this. Verse 1, acknowledge your death to sin. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Thank you. That's exactly what the Greek says. May it never be. God forbids. Or the well-known international universal phrase, no way, Jose. <laughs> no, by no means. Or do you think that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been bearded, bearded in him through baptism in the, into death. So so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that your old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we will no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died in free is freed from sin. Now, if we have died in, with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. This is the reality that we all as Christians, we all who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we also going to identify with him. That's why he is using this analogy. He is confronting those who are questioning what he's saying having an understanding that the people probably were misinterpreting what grace is all about. They didn't get it. They didn't get what salvation is all about. So they were wondering, uh, what you say is so, so simple. That means that if I continue sinning, then grace will continue coming to me. He says, no. He explained specifically that in chapter 5, the law came come in so that transgression will increase. That is so that he will see how vastly sinful we are 
But at the same time, how important is to reflect in the holiness as a standard that God has for all of us? God's grace is still vaster and bigger. This is a great reason to celebrate. However, Paul is being criticized. He's being misunderstood. And he responds saying, no, of course not. Such attitude, deciding ahead of time to take advantage of God, to take advantage of the grace of God, abusing the grace of God. And this is what happened with the grace of God. You can do two things. You either abuse grace, consciously committing sins, thinking, oh, God forgives me, and do whatever you want, what your heart desires, or you completely go to the other extreme and nullify grace by putting a lot of demands in order to live a Christian life. Demands that are so difficult to accomplish. So you either have a license to commit sin or you nullify the power of grace because you don't understand it. You need to be in the middle understanding that grace is a concept that God is doing to you and for you. It's not something that you are earning or merited. And Paul is saying here, it's important that we understand something, that we are dead to sin. The death of Jesus is the ultimate measure of the gravity of sin. He died. He literally died for the sins of the world. His sacrifice was not an invitation to sin more, but a call to comprehend the depth of God's forgiveness and the heights of his standards. We couldn't earn salvation our own merits. So Paul is telling us here, how shall we who die in sin still live in it? I don't get it. If you're already free, why you decided to live in that cage? Or putting back the shackles, the ones you were living with. How shall we who die in sin will still continue living in it? Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We die to sin, past event, accomplished fact. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive a special baptism, a spiritual one, something internal. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means is you were enemy of God, you trusted Christ, what he did on the cross, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. It's a promise that he gave you. After Acts 2, the Holy Spirit entered into the life of a believer and stays there permanently. If you really trust in Jesus Christ, then his presence, his spirit lives within you. In that moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the family of God. Basically, baptism has the meaning of immersion, has the meaning of identification. You are identified with God's family. He is internalizing you into God's family. He is identifying you into God's family. That's the first baptism. It happened only once. And that's it. Not every weekend. Not in the night of miracles. And that doesn't produce any speaking in different languages. That would be great. Imagine. We can understand all the languages or speak all the languages. 
But no, the baptism is an identification with the family of God. Something that happened internally. But then, Paul is presenting him the importance, not only of the inward sign of commitment, of what happened, or the identification with Christ, but it also has to be external. And that's what water baptism is all about. In the New Testament, people understood what baptism was all about. John the Baptist actually is supposed to be the baptizer. That was his actually his vocation. He was baptizing people in the message. In the message of, of the Lamb of God. He was baptizing people in, 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 with, 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 with the gospel, with the person of Jesus Christ. And he was baptizing them so they can join into the group. So the identification is to the person, to the message, and to the group. So they were followers of John. But when he was able to saw Christ coming and receive the baptism from his own hands, he pointed to him and says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God. That's the one that I have been telling you about. So follow him. So the external baptism, water baptism, was a symbol in the New Testament church. And there was no way to conceive somebody to become a believer and that person was not baptized. It was the natural progression. Something happened to you internally. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. You became a believer. And then... Soon enough, when you understood what happened to you, then there was water baptism as a sign, public sign, external sign of what happened internal. That's why we emphasize this as an as a ordinance, not only the Lord's Supper, but baptism. And if you haven't been baptized because you're waiting a sign from the Lord or something like that, let me tell you, I hope that today we will be encouraged to consider this external sign of your salvation which is baptism. We're going to have baptism next, this coming month. So, and we're going to have a new baptism. So you can be the ones who are going to inaugurate those baptismal that we're going to have soon. But you will understand why. The importance of what the baptism is all about, Paul was not using this to kind of uh, invite people to be baptized. He is telling us the baptism is a great illustration of what happened with us as believers in Christ. He is saying... The same way that you are identified with Christ, you do it spiritually, but you're going to do it physically. Because the identification is what happened with him. He died, he was buried, and then he resurrected from the dead. The same way, and this illustrates the immersion. That's the style that he is presenting here. Because in that immersion in water, you are prefiguring or symbolizing your death to your old self. You are buried in the water. And then when you come from the water, you are resurrected. Paul is saying, this is what happened to us spiritually, and eventually this is what happened to us physically when we die on this earth. He is presenting that as an analogy that we supposed to be living as somebody who, are, who is dead from our old self, and alive in the new life in Christ. Any person who says, oh, I am saved. I'm a new person. But that person is not yet baptized. It's not understanding salvation. Let's face it. 
Grace is risky. It's risky business. People will abuse grace, of course, but it's worth it. It's worth it. If you present the free gift of God's grace clearly and simply, some people will assume that anyone can take advantage of that salvation. And some people will do. Of course, we know that this is true. However, when we, what we may not recognize is that the gospel that we share is not capable of misunderstanding. We're not preaching the gospel of the New Testament. When you share the good news, and you don't obey it. Matthew 2 says, you know, go and make disciples. And there are two ways that you're going to make disciples of people from all the nations. Baptizing them. The only prerequisite for baptism, water baptism, is that the person understands what the gospel is all about. What is the good news of the gospel? So that's the prerequisite. That's implying the person already trusted in Christ. Something happened internally. Now he's saying, do it externally so you can witness others of what happened to you internally. Do it externally. And then the second way that you can continue doing disciples, making disciples, is that you can teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught them. And I like to emphasize that because sometimes we believe that baptism and teaching is all up. And we change our churches into our classrooms and seminaries. No, no. It's teaching them to obey everything that Jesus said. Not teaching them what I, the pastor, the teaching pastor wants to teach. If I'm teaching what I want you to know, I'm missing the mark. I'm teaching you what the Bible says that you and I, we need to learn how to obey everything that Jesus said on his word. That's a prerequisite. So we are dead in, in Christ. You're going to die the death that he died. But the good news in verse 3 and, and, and 5, through 5, you are alive in Christ. Paul, he's explaining the significance of the death motif. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized with Christ, into Christ, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You are a new person, a new believer. You have a new self. You have the old self. That's not going away. It's still there. But you receive a new way of living. You have a new self, the spiritual self. And you're going to be working your life continuously until Jesus comes back Dealing internally with the two natures that you have now as a believer in Christ. The old self who want to sometimes try to gain the battle in your life, in your mind. And the one that you feed con constantly is the one who's going to be stronger. And Paul is telling you and telling us here, remember, you have been resurrected to a new life. So live like you believe it. So when Jesus died, you know, I love coffee. I like my coffee black. I never liked it black before. I like what somebody called fufu coffee or, or sissy coffee or whatever you're going to call them. Just a little drop of coffee and a lot of creamer and sugar. 
One day I was doing one of those keto diets and I had to select the thing and I started learning to love black coffee and now I cannot stand to put any spoon of sugar, nothing. I like it like that. But some people like coffee, not because of the coffee, they like the creams, right? Many of you like the Starbucks coffee and you ask, I don't know how many different qualifications to order your coffee, shots of everything that is more like a candy, more like a dessert. Well, let's assume everybody likes coffee. Maybe you like tea, you don't like tea, you are Mormon, whatever you think. But let's assume that you like coffee. If you like coffee and you add cream and sugar, in either case, know that you understand that once you add the sugar, once you add the syrup, once you mix everything, there is no way that you can separate the sugar and the cream from the black coffee, right? It's mixed. If I ask you, okay, I want my coffee black, but you brought me this with cream, take the cream off and give me my black coffee, you will say it's impossible. It's inseparable. Because the cream and the sugar is identified with the coffee, and the coffee is identified with those. This is one of the greatest arguments for eternal security. In the moment time, when you believe in Christ, you receive what you call your ribs. Are you hungry? Ribs. You were regenerated, you were indwelt, you were baptized, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. So you're receiving the ribs from the Holy Spirit. You're never going to forget that. You are regenerated, indwelt, baptized, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's your new identity. You are identified with Christ that way. You are dead to your old self. Now Paul is going to change the conversation because he's going to tell you, not only know who you are in Christ, but you need to start considering to live that way. Like a spirit baptism, water spirit I mean, water baptism symbolizes this new identification with Christ. So, this is what he wants us to know. Verse 6. He wants us to know that we have been experiencing a new life. We are different. Our old self represents who we were in Adam's. However, we are no longer in Adam. But now we are in Christ, who is our life. Colossians 3, 4. So when Paul is saying the old self was crucified with him, he means that what we were before, we were saved, and that old self died with Christ. Now there is a complete severance between what we were in the reign of death and the reign of sin in Adam to come to a new reign under Christ. That's what crucifixion means, death to sin. The problem of the old self is that sometimes it doesn't feel it. If I have been spending enough time with chains, thinking that I'm a slave, and I'm free finally, sometimes I continue living that way. Probably you heard the story about the way that some people try to train elephants. They capture the elephants when they're babies. They tie a, a really strong chain in one of the, his legs to, to a concrete pole, and he's growing, always attaching, trying to get that thing in, can, he can. When he grows, they can put any rope 
as simple and as weak as you can imagine. But the elephant feels that he's already trapped. He not even make the intention to, to be free. Because in his mind, he's thinking that he continues being a slave. That's how many Christians are living their life today. The good news is you are not only forgiven from the sin, you are also freeing from the power that sin has in your life. The problem is, are you willing to live that way? And this is what Paul's saying in the second point. This is what I want you to know. Now consider your new life in Christ. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a continuous action. Consider one time when I was considering coming to the seminary, I wanted to come to the last seminary. But that word sometimes lose the importance for us. Because considering in our world, even in English or in Spanish, is just thinking about it. The Greek word consider is the word that I learned, which is kind of funny and is more used in Texas than any other place, is reckon. And some people think, I reckon this, I reckon that. It's even deeper when you study the logismai, which is the Greek, understanding that that means take into account. It's a, an accounting term. Take this into consideration. Consider. So if you're going to go to the seminary and you're considering go, you're not considering going until you got the application, you fill it up, you send it, you pay the fee, then you're considering going to the seminary. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. Consider to live your life, the new life in Christ. No, just think about it. Take that in account. You're coming from a bureau. You were dead. Now you're coming to life. You're alive. Live like you are free. Consider that. So this is a commandment. This is an imperative in the present tense, which means it's a command that you need to obey again and again and again and again every single day of your life. You need to consider. You need to act upon it. You need to take that in consideration. What specifically are you commanded to do? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Like any good battery has the negative and the positive, your life has an old self who's supposed to be dead but is alive and a new self which is in Christ. So you need to know, but also you need to consider. There is a, an importance in the consideration. The practical implication is so easy. We are just free from sin. We are free for a life of love and service to God. This new life is not just about avoiding sin, but embracing righteousness. While we continue living in this beautiful body that we have, even though we are safe and we are alive in Christ, we will continue always walking in this bifurcation, these two roads, either pleasing the new self or pleasing the old self, because he's still alive. We're not going to kill him, but we can make him hunger, hungry when we don't feed him, and he becomes weak. And that's how we had to consider living our lives. The Christian life is not merely about abstaining from sin. It's about living a life of purpose, rooted in the new identity in Christ. 
So to truly live this out, we must not only, but also continually consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Number three, another word, verse 12, present yourself to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey the, its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments, the Greek says, weapons of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God and those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Imagine that there are two farms. You live in one farm. You are renting a space in one farm. You decided to take care of the land. You have implements. You have tools. And you do that. But your landlord is a tyrant. Sometimes he comes without telling you that he's coming. He's demanding for you not only the rent, but he's demanding even more of you every time. He's a tyrant. He wants to make your life miserable. And you have no other options because you're living in his land. You're obedient. One day, the owner of the farm next to it saw you in your predicament and invited you to cross over and says, I got a better place for you to live. And I'm not going to be doing what this guy is doing for you. Even when you're living in your own life and using your own implements, many times the unmerciful landlord will ask you to give those instruments that you use to harvest the, the land and, and melt it so you can make weapons for war. But then you decided to change and go to the other side and start serving to the new master. And he is benevolent and he is great, but you're still a slave to him. But he is becoming your friend and also he is your landlord. He is merciful enough to let you live. And, and he's not taking advantage of you, taking your instruments. He is telling you, you continue using your instruments, but now you're not going to do war. You're going to do good. You're going to be helping people out. You see the difference? Basically, what he's saying, we are changing management in our lives. We are no longer under the tyrant master that we used to have. Now, we are under the new master that we have in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to use our own body, the instrument, the weapon that we have, to do good, not to do evil. When somebody is robbing a bank, the arm that he's using, that weapon is used. That's the body of evidence. That's He's presenting that as a, as a body of unrighteousness. But when we sin with our own bodies, either because sexual immorality and whatever, our body becomes that weapon. So Paul is saying, stop living your life using your body presented to unrighteousness, and now start living your life presenting your whole body into righteousness. Later, we're going to go to Romans 12, when we're going to revisit that, present yourself your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to get there. But this is the idea that started over here. So the command is war on sin. Paul is sharing this command. You die to sin, you're living in Christ. So seize the moment. Identify the weak spot that you have in your life. Try to limit yourself, but live for him. And how you present to him? Present yourself to God because in 14 says... For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Surprisingly, this final verse is not 
an imperative. Do not let sin be your master. Rather, it's a statement of fact, a divine promise. Sin shall not be master over you anymore. God wants you to know that, that you have a new identity in Christ, and then apply that knowledge. Lastly, serve in righteousness. So we know, we need to acknowledge that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ, right? It's important, we know. And after we understand that, it's important that we also understand the importance of who we are, to consider every single situation, to consider that we are dead and alive in Christ, dead to sin, alive in Christ. And now we are coming here to present yourself, to resist temptation, to present yourself to God, and lastly, so you can serve in righteousness. Verse 15 says, another question. The same way that he started verse 1, he started here, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? May it never be. No way, Jose. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So we continue being slaves. We are not just free to do whatever we want. We are changing masters. We are changing the people that we are slaves from. Not to Satan, yes to Christ. For as you presented your members as slaves of impurity and the lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were, were you then deriving from the things of which you are not, not, now ashamed? For the outcome of those things in death is death, but now, having been freed from sin and a slave to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. And this is the passage that everybody memorized. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You do, good, you do bad, you do iniquity, you will receive your payment. Death. Believe me, Satan is a good payer. You, did wrong, you do wrong and he will pay you. But Jesus is not going to pay you. He is going to reward you. He's going to give you a gift, even when you don't deserve it. That's the beauty of having him as our master. The legendary musician Bob Dylan says, you got to serve somebody. And he is prophetic. Because either you serve Christ or you serve another guy. So you choose. Paul is posing this question to, to make us think, to make us realize. Paul reminds us that we have been emancipated from slavery to sin. 
He even breaks out this promise. But thanks be to God that you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been free from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. You are no longer slaves of sin. So don't camp on it. Live the new life. So remember this. As we go back from the beginning, recall the caged bird with nearly restored wings, and yet it hesitates to fully embrace the boundless sky. Consider also the individual, individual in the courtroom declared not guilty, cough removed, but is still walking like if he was bound. In both scenarios, freedom was not just a possibility. It was given. The door of the cave was open. The calves were off. The chains were broken. Yet the freedom offered was not wholly ceased. This is very important. A very important me metaphor of how sometimes we approach the Christian walk. We have been graced with no merely forgiveness, but also life-transforming freedom from the power of sin. However, do we spread the wings and soar? Do we walk upright and burdened by our past transgressions? In a small village, there was a church for ducks, D-U-C-K. So Pastor Doc was preaching a sermon that morning. He was on fire. He had the Holy Spirit burning inside him. And all the ducks were sitting in the row. So all the dogs in a row, they were listening to the dog. And he was saying, and you remember that we were created for greater things. Quack, 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 quack. I don't know how, how they were excited. How they say amen, quack amens. And you know that he saved us from the sin. He saved us from the condemnation. Quack amen. And he rescued us and make us anew. Quack amen, quack amen. So now you need to live a new life, quacamen. And be continue sharing what you're learning, quacamen. Everybody was clapping with the wings. And as soon as the service was over, everybody, instead of soaring, instead of flying with the new wings that know, know that they have, they continue walking like a dog. Quack, 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 quack. And that's what happens sometimes. When we come to a church and we receive this amazing sermon from the scriptures, and all the things that we can say is amen, but we go back through those doors and live in the same slaving life. No way, Jose. You cannot continue living your life like that. You need to remember, you need to know that you were dead to sin and alive in Christ. You need to consider putting that behind you. You need to present yourself to God. And most importantly, you need to serve for the righteous purpose in your life to the one who deserves all the praises. So revisit your perspective of sin and grace by acknowledging your death, your death to sin. Spend time in prayer and spend time in the scripture this week. 
Specifically, I, I command you, really, open Romans 6. Read it. Acknowledging areas where you have been minimizing sin or taking grace for granted. Number two, reflect on your renewal identity in Christ. Considering your new life in him. Maintain your daily reminder in your new identity in Christ. Refer to it in the old habits that you have. Those habits that try to creep in. And say to them, you stop there. I got a new habit. Number three, actively present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Begin each day with prayer and dedication. Offering yourself as an instrument for God's glory. Wherever you go to work or study or you live. And lastly, commit to a life of service in righteousness. Identify a specific area where you can serve using your gifts and talents to further God's kingdom. If you do this, you're not only going to know, you're going to consider, you're going to present, and you're going to commit to service in righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this extraordinary gift of freedom and life that we have in Christ. Empower us to live not just as people who are forgiven, but as people who are free. Lead us as we acknowledge our past. Embrace our new life and dedicate ourselves to you, Father, so we can serve in righteousness. And all this is possible thanks to Jesus, our Master, our Lord, our Savior. And everybody says, Amen.